As always, it's a privilege to be able to come to, on Sunday morning and worship together, uh, to be able to celebrate the Lord, look at his word together. Uh, we're in this series we're calling David, a man after God's own heart. And this morning, we're going to look at historical friendship. And, and all of us probably realize that friendships are among the most cherished and yet complex relationships we have in our life. I came across these stats. I found it very interesting. Research suggests that the that conventional friendships in our lives, conventional friendships in our lives really uh, consist of around 150 people, no more, 150 people, and, and that we really uh, only have on average uh, five very close friends. Now, we have a large number of, of acquaintances, but 150 that we'd put really in some type of friend group and five that are, that are very close friendships. And this figure is so consistent, it's so consistent that scientists has suggested that larger numbers require too much brain effort to track. Too much brain effort. I don't know what I think about that, brain effort, but too much brain effort to track. And this doesn't count, of course, you know, the friends and followers you might have on social media. One social influencer commented. He said, to be honest, I'm not sure I keep in touch with as many as 150 people. As it is, I can't seem to find enough time for my not-so-wide social circle. There are quite a number of phone calls, emails, and texts I owe my friends. Any of you out there like that? And then another social influencer wrote this. He said, maybe I just need 48 hours a day, 14 days a week, and or another brain to keep more up the effort. <laughs> I know I feel like that sometimes too. And as true as these stats are and as helpful as they are, I really think they sort of missed the point. Because I would say... That one genuine friendship outweighs a thousand just sort of normal friends. <laughs> that, that one genuine friendship out, outweighs a, a thousand uh, what we would call sort of superficial friendships. So the questions beg to be asked. How do we develop then genuine friendships? And remember, we're not talking about 150 genuine friendships. But how do we develop that handful of genuine friendships in our life that God would have for us? How do we do that? We're going to look at a historical friendship, the historical friendship between David and Jonathan. Um, but I want to look at the context of these two individuals, David and Jonathan. You couldn't pick two people from further extremes within a kingdom. Jonathan is a prince. He's a son of the king. He's being prepared to be the king. And, and David, David is a shepherd. I, I mean, there, there's such a difference between the two. They're upbringing, you know, what they were raised to sort of become in some ways. And yet they shared something, and that was faith. Last week, we looked at David fighting Goliath, the giant. And of course, it took faith to, to fight the giant. But yet we also realized that Jonathan had faith. On one occasion, we read that Saul had said, don't, don't go to battle with the Philistines. They're, they're at war with the Philistines. They're sitting across this, this battle line. And Saul says, don't provoke them. But Jonathan can't help himself. There's an outpost. And he decides he's going to go and take this outpost. The only problem is it's only Jonathan and his, his, his armor bearer. And, and Jonathan goes and, to take this outpost. And I love it. It's one of my favorite lines in scripture. And I'm just going to sort of sum it up. But, but Jonathan looks at this encounter, which really the odds are not in his favor, humanly speaking. And he basically says, if God wants us to win, we'll win. But if not, we're going to go for it anyway. Like it's in God's hands. And by faith, he goes and he takes this, this outpost. I mean, from the outside, we think they have nothing in common. But when we look inside, they did. They had faith. Both David and Jonathan had a type of faith that drew them together, despite their differences. 
Jonathan's accomplishments take up such a small portion of the Old Testament. Of course, David's mentioned more than anyone else in Scripture except for God himself. And yet this, this statement about their friendship has been a model for friendship for thousands of years. Let me offer a little further context again. Saul becomes jealous of David, ruthlessly jealous. In fact, the people at one time proclaimed that Saul's killed, like he's killed a lot of people, but David's killed so many more. And I think that was the trigger for Saul. Jealousy fills his heart. And he decides he's going to try to kill David. In fact, at one point, he, he throws a spear at David. David gets out of its way just to save his life. And he, he sort of runs off. And, and, and when I look at that, I think, how uncomfortable it would be. I mean, think about these two friends, Jonathan and David. Not only, not only are they on from like two separate sides of the track, so to speak, but also here, here in reality, you have one of their dads trying to kill your friend. How many of you think that would put a stress on a relationship? And so here they are, they're, they're, but they're friends. David and Jonathan obviously found something worth the risk. And, and that's worth us taking an up-close personal look at their, their friendship. See, none of us needs to settle for merely surface friendships. God desires for us to have genuine friendships. And it's possible through commitment and courage to have a deeper friendship with others. When two people share faith in God, when two people share faith in God, something very powerful can happen. Listen to this pivotal passage that speaks of this relationship between Jonathan and David. It's found in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. Follow along with me. As soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him from that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe and put it on him, gave it to David, along with his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now remember, David and Jonathan are probably young men at this time, maybe in their teens. Jonathan's a prince. David's a shepherd boy. At first glance, this, this friendship seems too ideal to be true. I mean, think about it. How many friendships do you know so tight from people from such different backgrounds? And yet the, the wording here, is unmistakable, one in spirit, loved him as himself. And he just speaks of true brotherhood. It, it speaks of true intimacy, genuine friendship. Now, indeed, David and Jonathan's friendship is rare, but let's take a closer look before we write it off as unrealistic. What we really find in this relationship between Jonathan and David, three friendship factors that God wants us to be able to establish in our own life and in our own relationships. And the first is this. Factor number one, connection. Connection. David and Jonathan connected because their faith created a foundation that had depth. Catch this this morning. The deeper your faith the deeper your connection will be with the believers God sends to connect with you. The deeper your faith, the deeper the connection will be between you and the people that God sends with you. David had gone up against a giant. Jonathan had gone up against this outpost. They had this profound faith, and it was that faith that drew them to one another. Their friendship was centered around this faith they had in God. David and Jonathan's connection was certainly not weak, and it, had been, and it certainly was being tested. When King Saul, the psycho king, right, tries to kill David, 
David goes to Jonathan. In fact, we, we can hear their actual words. We read them in 1 Samuel 20, 1 through 4. Then David fled to Naioth of Ramah and came and said before Jonathan. So remember, this is the king's son. What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? Is not, it is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then catch what Jonathan says to David. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. Whatever you say, I will do for you. It does beg this question. Do we have anyone in our life who we would trust enough to say that to? Whatever you need. Do we have anyone in our life who we would trust enough to say that? And if they said what they needed, we we would be willing to to offer that. I I mean, David and Jonathan had a whatever you need friendship. Jonathan pledged to David, whatever you say, I'll do it for you. Whatever you need. I'll tell you, whatever you need, friends, are, are, are priceless. I can remember when my mom was, was dying, I had the privilege of being there with my father for, for the few weeks and to care for mom and, and, and to be there with dad. And I remember getting a phone call from my friend Ken. Ken and I had been friends since my freshman year in college. And, and he called, he said, Craig, what do you need? What do you need? Do you need me to fly down there? And I knew that if I had said yes, he would buy a plane ticket right away, he would have been there. And I didn't really need it. I said, I just need your prayer. I said, just check in on me, everything's okay. And then, and then I found out later, but he didn't necessarily trust my answer. Now, that's a friend who knows you, and he calls my wife. <laughs> and he says to Chris, what's Craig need? He told me, he, she said, no, he's okay. He's, he's being honest with you. Whatever you need, I'll cherish that to the day I die. Whatever you need, friendship. I shared this message, obviously, in last service. And I was talking to a, a lady that's battling cancer right now. And she said I could share this with you. She gave me permission. Um, but I'm a pastor, so I probably would have anyway. But she gave me permission. And, and, and she, she, she showed me a picture. She said, Craig, you won't believe what happened just yesterday. And she showed me a picture of her and two other ladies. And they're all about the same age. And she said, that message is like our friendship. She said, I met, I met these two other ladies when I, was a, when I was in elementary school. And they know what I'm going through. And they drove over from Syracuse to be with me yesterday just to encourage me. They said, she said, they're they're whatever you need, friends. David and Jonathan had this whatever you need connection because first and foremost, their relationship with God. Because they had this faith in God that filled them up, they had enough to be able to give to one another and to grow that friendship. Now, not only did they have a connection, but they also had this commitment to each other. So seasons of life come and go. People will typically come in and out of our life, even as friends. But there's a type of friend that lasts through all things and in all things. And and faith is the foundation of that friendship. When two friends are committed to growing deeper and closer to God, they grow closer to each other. That builds trust and that builds connection. Eleanor Roosevelt, she wrote this, Eleanor Roosevelt. Many people will walk in and out of your life, but only true friends will leave footprints in your heart. Let that sink in for a little bit. Let that simmer. Only certain friends will what? Leave footprints in your heart. Isn't that the truth? I mean, it's not everyone. They're few and far between, but the handful that God wants us to have. 
in our life to help us, to help one another grow in him and, and journey through life together. We put faith in those friends we believe in and those who we believe in, us. When God is at the center of two persons' lives and therefore at the center of their friendship, the friendship leaves a God-sized mark. A God-sized mark. Whether it be Ken who left a God, who's leaving a God-sized mark on me or the lady who had friends who were doing that, my prayer is that everyone in this room who's a part of the family of God has someone who's leaving a God-sized mark on your life. And here, let me, let me turn it around a little bit because it's a question I have to ask myself. Am I allowing myself to be used of God to leave a God-sized mark on the life of someone else? Am I allowing myself to be available? Am I allowing myself to hear from the spirit of stepping into those relationships? So because of God, we can have a connection that goes much deeper than any other relationship as part of God's family. And this commitment we can have, because here's the thing, when we're committed to him, he gives us what we need to be committed to others. I love the fact that God doesn't just give us blessings in our life. He blesses us so we can bless others. In fact, that's the scriptural principle. I want to bless you so you can bless others. He doesn't want us to be reservoirs of our own blessings, but conduits of blessings that we can pour into the lives of others. And that's the the way friendships are supposed to work. The third thing we see in Jonathan and David's relationship was factor number three. There was no competition. If there was anyone who was in competition, it would have been, should have been David and Jonathan. Think about it. Jonathan is preparing to be king. He's the son of the king. He's a prince. But David was anointed to be the next king by Samuel. Do you see there's a problem here? They both can't be the next king. And yet we don't see competition there. Now, I want to clarify here for a minute. Anyone out there like me very competitive? I'm the only one in this whole room that's competitive? (laughs) then please, let's play a game because I will whoop you. Okay, there's four of us. That's good. That sounds great. You know, I, I, I can remember when our kids were young and, and Krista would say, let them win. I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> they may beat me for real one day and I'm going to beat them every chance I can until that day comes. As a matter of fact, one time we bought a, a game called Bibleopoly. Has anyone ever played Bibleopoly? The worst game ever. <laughs> like Christians sometimes can ruin things. And we play the game. At the end of Bibleopoly, guess what? Everyone wins. One day the kids say, whatever happened to that game? And I said, it's gone. I said, I said, I said let's, let's pull out the Monopoly because I, I, I want to I beat you bad. Let's do this thing. You know? There's nothing wrong being competitive in that way. Well, maybe a little bit. But it, I'm talking about the competition where I've got to be truly better than you. What we see in David and Jonathan's relationship was they, they certainly pushed each other to be better. There, there was that type of competition where I just, but it was about bringing out the best in each other. You follow what I'm saying? And, and, and so it was an unhealthy competition. And, and in fact, it, it's sort of amazing. This is what we read in 1 Samuel 20, 17 through 20. And, and, and it says, And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed. He's talking about David. Remember, he flees from his dad. He's trying to kill him. He's coming up with a plan here. He says, you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside that stone heap, and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at it mark. What's happening here? Jonathan's saying, you go hide, and we'll see if dad gets upset. 
And if dad gets like psycho upset again, I'll know he wants to kill you. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to shoot these arrows and then we can talk and figure out another plan. Now, why do I bring this up when we talk about no competition? Because again, if there's anyone in the kingdom who should have competition, it's really not Saul and David. Saul's king. He's going to remain king to the day he dies. But Jonathan's supposed to be the next king. It's his son. But David's been anointed the next king by Samuel. Jonathan and David should have this huge competition. And instead of Jonathan sit back and going, well, this will take care of itself. Dad's going to get him out of the way and I'll be king. He doesn't try to get rid of David. What's he try to do? He tries to save David. David, your friendship, catch this. Your friendship is more important to me than power and prestige. Your friendship is more important than what this will cause for me. Because by the way, a psycho dad is psycho toward everyone. But he chooses friendship. He chooses the right path. Now, I believe he did that because, first of all, he has this connection with God that allows him to have this connection with David. I believe he does it because he has this commitment in the Lord that allows him to have this commitment with David. But it also happens because he doesn't have this competition where, like, I have to be the best. I just want you to be the best, and you make me be the best. Let, let's grow together. How do I know this? Because eventually Saul and Jonathan die on the battlefield. It's the Philistines again. And when David gets the news that Saul and Jonathan have died, listen to what David says about Jonathan. 2 Samuel 1, 25-27. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain and on the high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. He doesn't say, wow, now I'm out of trouble. Saul's gone, Jonathan's gone, now I can be king. He's heartbroken over the loss of his friend. Now I've got to say, because some have taken this passage and tried to make it something that's immoral. And that's not what's happening here. David's talking about true brotherhood between him and Jonathan. And even further, we have to understand that in the Bible, there are passages which are prescriptive. What do I mean by prescriptive? It means we're supposed to follow the example. And then there are some passages in the Bible that are descriptive. It just describes what the person was doing, but we're not supposed to do that. You say, what are you getting at? Well, we're studying the life of David. And there's some things in David's life, like his faith, that the Lord's like, you should have faith like David. You can have faith like David. That's prescriptive, right? If you read about David, he wasn't really good with relationship with women. You guys have read ahead, haven't you? (laughs) I mean, he really wasn't. And they're descriptive things. Like they're not saying, hey, Craig, you should have a relationship with a woman like that. You shouldn't. And so when David writes it, that your, your love is surpassing that of a woman, in part it's because David didn't really have a whole lot of healthy relationships with women. So it's not an immoral statement. He's just saying, we have this brother that surpasses any other relationship I have. And we need to look at it in context. Now, by the way, this eulogy, who wouldn't be thankful to have that spoken of themselves by a friend? It shows the depth of this friendship. When you have a genuine friendship, you know that God gets the credit. You you don't have to compete for personal glory. You know that God brings about the plan according to his purposes, and you don't worry about who gets the honor. You're you're working together for the same goal. You're spurring each other on to a deeper faith and and a connecting faith. 
And I wonder how many of us have at least one friend like that? How many of us at least have one person who we can do life with like that? How many of us have one genuine friendship? I came across this statistic. It's troubling to me. The statistics suggest that only one in three people share mistakes with another. Only one in three. I was thinking about that. I thought, well, that makes accountability difficult. (laughs) How are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Great. Well, we're both great. Let's eat our meal. You know what I mean? How do you help each other? I have people in my life, very few, but I have people I can look eye to eye and share when I'm struggling. Matter of fact, I have people in my life who know me well enough by now, they know when I'm struggling before I say it. And if I say great, they go, you don't look great. (laughs) Come on now. Stats go on. Only 20% reveal deep feelings for another person. 22%, only 22%. Only 15% talk about the quality of their friendship and the importance they find in it. Do you know what that tells me? If these stats are true, 75% of us are friend hungry. If you're not feeling the hunger, it's just because you've been so long without it, you've worked yourself past the hunger pains. And God wants so much more. God wants so much more for you. He wants so much more for me. He wants us to be able to enter into those friendships which will feed us, that we can feed them, that we can grow together. It's what it means to be a part of God's forever family. To cheer each other on, to to, to correct each other when we need to, to, to do life together so that others outside these walls. In fact, Jesus said, they'll know why I came. This is part of his high priestly prayer, his statement to his disciples. They'll know why I came because of your love, speaking to us as God's church, your love for one another. Wrap your mind around that. Like people who have never walked into the face of a church will see our love for each other and go, oh, I know I'm starting to understand why Jesus came. It was to bring us that. It was to bring us that. And that's why I would be amidst this morning if I didn't share about the most important friendship and most faithful friend. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's recorded for us in John 15. He's speaking to them, and this is, this is what he says. It's recorded again, John 15, 13 through 15. Follow along with me. Greater love has no one than this, that someone, someone laid down his life for his friends. Now think about this. Jesus is saying this before he does just that. So Jesus doesn't just talk about the ideal friendship. He's going to model true friendship for them and for us. No greater love has won for this, and they lay down their life for their friend. You are my friends if you do, not, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I heard from my father I have made known to you. So Jesus says, and he models it. No greater love is this than someone lays down his life for his friend. Remember Jonathan? Whatever you need. Even if I have to stand against psycho dad, whatever you need. Jesus, I'll give my life for you. Think about it. He says, if you do my commands, by the way, that doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It just means if you're following after Jesus, you're following after Jesus. He says, you're not my servant, you're my friends. So think about this mind-blowing reality. That Jesus declares, you're my friends, and in doing so, implies a stunning level of comfortable personal interaction with the one who is the eternal, omnipotent creator of everything. 
that the God who spoke the world into existence, who seems so distant to so many, says, I want you to be my friend. I want to be whatever you need God. Now, by the way, I want to clarify this. Whatever you need God isn't whatever you want God. Because many people have problems with God when they say, well, I said I needed this and I didn't get it. If you didn't get it, you didn't need it. One person said amen, everyone went, ouch. <laughs> I get it, I get it. But, but this, is, this is the relationship we can have with our creator, God. When we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we're also accepted him as a friend who will never leave us or forsake us. And he's the one that empowers us to have this, these three friendship factors of reality in our life. He's the one that allows us to have this faith connection, this faithful commitment. There's no competition. I'm here to help you. You're here to help me. Let's grow together. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's available through him. Let me throw this out there. If you're married, if you're married right now, every guy is like getting all tense because I said if you're married. If you're married, the only way your marriage will flourish is that the base of that marriage is Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? You've heard me say this before. If you've been around here, when people come to my office, they say, hey, for marriage counseling, hey, we're, we're having a problem. And I, I start with saying, well, how's your relationship with God going? And they look at me like, I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about my wife or I'm talking about my husband. And the reality of it is, if he's not your base, that relationship will never flourish. So let me broaden this a little bit. No relationship in your life will flourish the way it's intended to be if Christ isn't the base. Because you're going to look in that, for, in that other person for things only he can supply. And you're going to try to do things for the other person that only he can gift you and strengthen you to do. You follow me? And so when we look at what God wants for us, it starts with our relationship with him. And as we have this faith relationship with him, it spills out then into our relationships. It's what I love about God's church because people from total different backgrounds come to sit next to each other, worshiping the same God, caring for each other in the love of Christ. It doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter what we do. It matters only that we serve the same king. Who, by the way, besides being just king of kings and lord of lords, is our friend. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I don't know where you're at. If you, if you have a genuine friendship, cherish it. Feed into it. If you're here and, and maybe you've given up on friendship because you've been hurt in the past, I don't want to belittle that at all. I get it. I do. In fact, the reason we need the Lord also is because all of us human friends are going to fail each other at one point or another. But God will never fail us. But let me encourage you just because you've been hurt, don't give up on what God has for you. He wants you to have some genuine friends in your life. It's what being a part of the family of God is. Not everyone in here is going to be known by everyone, but everyone in here should be known by somebody. And as we gather on the weekend, it's so that when we scatter throughout the week, that people can see the love of Christ in us and want what we have. Like Jesus said, they'll know why I came because of your love for one another. So where we are this morning, won't you take the next step God's calling you to take with him? If you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, why not this morning? 
If you have some hurt you need to lay down, let God speak healing into that hurt. By the way, if you're on the other side of a marriage, been divorced, you're sitting here saying, wow, that's not how it worked for me. God wants to heal you and he wants to use you and he wants to meet where you're at. God is the great recycler (laughs) before it was ever popular. He takes us where we're at, he builds us up, he uses us. Wherever you are, take the next step with him. Let's pray. Father God, as I stand here this morning, I'm in all of you. I'm in all of the fact that the creator of the universe, the God that so many people talk about is so distant, clearly describes himself as a friend. Like he he describes himself, he says, greater love is no one than this to give his life for his friend. And and Lord, that's that's exactly what you did. When I think about that, that blows my mind. I have three kids and and the thought of giving those three kids life away for anyone, it's just not gonna happen. And I have three grandkids and I wouldn't even think about that. But your love was so profound that you sent your one and only son to die for our sins, to be resurrected for our salvation. Now that's love. And it's in a relationship with you that we're able to be gifted with the ability to, to, to love others with your love, to be able to be in a relationship where there's, where we have that connection because of faith. We have that commitment because of faithfulness. We're not in competition. We're just helping each other become the person you've created us to be in Christ Jesus. So if anyone's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, whether in this room or online, I pray even now in the quietness of their heart they'd say yes to you. They would let us walk alongside him and help them take their next step and their next step and their next step. Lord, meet us where we're at. Again, Lord God, speak healing over us where it's necessary. Speak hope where it's necessary. Give us faith, Father God. Faith to trust in you and faith to enter into these relationships that you put in our path. For your glory. For your glory. That all will know this amazing God we give you the praise in our Lord and Savior's name, Jesus. Amen.